Welcome to the Life Science and Marketing Podcast, where we discuss marketing and career insights and tips with leading experts from across the globe. Let's join our host, Paul Avery, CEO of Biostrata, as he chats with our next Life Science Marketing guest. So we've got a special edition of Life Science and Marketing podcast this week. I am joined by Nick Clare and Harrison Wade. They're going to tell you a bit more about what they've been doing as part of the podcast. But we are currently in a bar in Liverpool where we are here for the Elric Drug Discovery event. And we thought that we would catch up, grab a beer and talk about marketing and sales. So I'm going to turn to our guests now and just introduce yourself to me, guys. Let's hear from you, Nick, first. Great. So, yeah. Nick Clare um, of Succession.bio. I'm also involved in Elrig as a board member and currently working as an interim CBO for Definigen. But really my background's been in life science, drug discovery, working for pharma companies in the lab. And in more recent years, so just under the last decade at my age, um, I've moved into the commercial world and really tried to impact science by helping companies get their message out there. And Harrison. Yeah, and uh, my background is a little bit different. I came from software originally. I uh, did software sales for a while, and it found my way into the biotech world, learned you know, the science uh, later in life. So sort of opposite, opposite approach as most. Um, did a few years at Synthego, and then now um, starting Succession and getting really excited to, to launch our community uh, to, to the biotech sales community. Yeah, tell us a bit more about Succession, because today's a special episode, because we're not going to follow the usual format. Basically, us three are going to debate marketing versus sales, right? I'm going to bring the marketing side, they're going to bring the sales side, and we're going to see if we can meet somewhere in the middle. But, but I think to do that, we need to know what Succession is about, to really position where so you, you guys are So you can understand why sales is better. Well, yeah, exactly. We're, we're going to find yeah, out, we're exactly. going to find out. Yeah, we'll have to sell them <laughs> So yeah, tell, us, tell the listeners a little bit about what Succession does. Yeah, in short, Succession is a community dedicated to biotech sales professionals. And so what does that mean? Um, yeah, I think, there is a challenge in the industry around, say, PhD scientists wanting to get into sales. They have a real technical background, but they may not get the training or you know tools that they need in order to be successful in a sales role. And so we're building a community for them, helping them with the training that they need to be successful, a way to interact with other members of the community. Now on the flip side, you have experienced biotech sales professionals. How do they go and up-level their skills and how do they continuously learn on a regular basis? And a lot of that learning is peer-to-peer. Um, or you join a new, co- a new company, you're the only sales rep, you have nobody that you could talk to to bounce ideas off of. So how can you sort of create this environment for them to thrive? So that's the idea behind the community. Uh, and then there's gonna be specifically like biotech sales related training and courses and content and resources uh, that you know, people can use and leverage in their day-to-day jobs, so. Yeah, some of my biggest learning in sales since I went into it has been from my peers. So to, to grow a community that can support that for everyone, whether you're in a small company or a huge company, to expand that network of peers is, I think, important. Yeah, I think there's definitely an opportunity to <clears throat> For those salespeople that really want to get to the top of their game, yep. they're going to be hungry for this, right? Because there isn't really yep. that much, or if anything, like this in the life sciences at the moment that's specific to this niche that we operate in. Yep. So it yep. could be a bit of a, a leveler up for those people. Exactly. I think that's one of the challenges with sales training in general today is it's very horizontal, where you could go to any of the big companies out there that do sales training, 
They have their methodology that they apply to software, to medical devices, to pharma, to biotech, to HR tech, whatever it is. And, you know, they'll find a consultant, probably hasn't sold in 10, 20 years. Uh, they'll come in, deliver this particular training to you. Uh, and then now it's on the leadership team, the sales reps, executive team to translate that training into something relevant for your specific company. And so, you know, the thought here is why should you have to go through that? Why can't you have community-led training by the best sales rep in the world that are doing this today, get them to teach everybody else, and then now you've got this like ecosystem of very specific training that people can use immediately within their day-to-day -day role. I think that makes a lot of sense. And if you don't, you should check out the guys on LinkedIn and follow what they post. They're sharing lots of like tips and tricks for salespeople that are there's like tried and tested techniques in there, but there's also like the latest digital hacks and tips for how you can leverage yeah. tools to reach an audience, right? Yeah, uh, and it's success.bio. And we're pretty open, reach out to us. We'll even yeah. help you on an individual thing to show you the value in what we've got. Yep. Um, we can do one-to-one -to -one too. And maybe by the time this podcast comes out, depending how fast uh, you guys can edit it, uh, you know, the community may be live. So the uh, plan is to launch on November 1st, uh, succession.bio slash join. Go there, sign up, and I'll see you all in the community. Great stuff, right? That's enough. Succession enough sounds stuff. cool. Yeah, exactly. Now let's, yeah. now let's bash Mark. Now let's. Well, uh, easy, <laughs> easy, right? Like, market, easy, you're if right. marketing are from Mars, right, and sales are from Venus, from a salesperson's perspective, why don't marketing and sales get on? Well, I mean, I think one of the biggest main issues is I don't think that there is a a feeling that I would say on both sides that the other one understands their role. Yeah. I don't think enough marketing people have sold to understand what salespeople are going through, and I don't think enough salespeople have been in marketing to understand what marketing is thinking and doing. Um, so I think there's just a lack of knowledge, and I think one of the challenges that you see a lot of companies is they don't actually like share what each other are doing with each other on a regular basis. And so when you have misaligned goals, say marketing is trying to drive leads, sales is trying to close deals and book to revenue. When these things aren't aligned, you get sales saying, well, I need more leads, these leads are crap. And you get marketing saying, we're sending you all these leads, why aren't you following up, yeah. right? And you think this battle that just happens all the time. And so I think when it comes to, it's just like knowledge around the role, and what each other are doing, but then also how are you measured and um, you know, aligned around those, those same objectives and goals. I think it's even, even if you look at the nomenclature, right? Marketing is sales. We, we separate them just in like an ideology and a nomenclature. And actually they're the same thing. Marketing sells to many, Sales is sales to one to one, one to one, one, yeah. Um, and I think just by that distinction, you think you've got a different job, but you've got the same job. And if you, if that message is disparate, you start to get friction, and that's the problem. I think also you end up in situations where uh, where we've seen it, like you know, marketing will go build something in a silo and then toss it back over the wall to sales and be like, hey, go use this thing. It's like, well, I don't know what this is for, um, and. On the flip side, you've got sales, you're just going running off and saying whatever they want to customers because they think <laughs> it's the best, when in reality, marketing might have like tried and tested messaging. So again, it's like the sort of misalignment around like how things were developed, how things were created, when really everybody's trying to get to the same goal and like make the company successful. So what what drives that misalignment then, do you think? Is it is it that senior leadership need to set the tone early on and bring everyone together? Or is it really that 
people are working towards different goals that sound aligned, right? Leads should turn into sales. They should, yeah, yeah. So where's all this, where's these friction points happening and what can we do about it? I, I think one of the biggest thing is the metrics that leadership set. So that often the metrics for marketing are around how many leads you can generate and that's their success. For sales, it's how much money you can generate. And, but if the leads they're generating don't turn to money because their market is to generate leads, right? I've, I've got leads, there's tons of them. Um, but they don't convert, that's an issue. So you, I think the metrics have to be aligned enough that it's streamlined between the two and then there's less fighting, there's collaboration. Okay. Yeah. Well, agree? I'll flip it on you, what do you think? From a marketing perspective, I mean, you're in a number of different companies, right? I think mm -hmm. at one point we were talking about you know, how difficult it would be to sometimes get access to the sales team. Like you're mm. talking and working with the marketing team, and just for you to get access to the sales team can be challenging sometimes. Yeah, and for the internal marketing teams to get access to the sales team. I mean, I think, I think all the things you've talked about so far are definitely aspects, right from marketing's the coloring in department, right, mm. as a sense make within, pretty within sales. Make things look pretty, right, not as a strategic um, discipline. Right. But you described really well, Harrison, you were like, understand customers' wants, needs, desires, pain points, create messaging that's gonna resonate and drive action. Do the research, often leaning on intel that the sales team can provide, right, they're out at the sharp end, yeah. speaking to customers. Um, and I think, so I think maybe there's a, and then I thought on the marketing side, of course, all marketers are like really lovely people and it's the salespeople that are the problem. But if we assume that's not true, it is true. But if we assume it's not for this discussion, um, I think there is a challenge that marketers assume that sales are like, get the money, they don't trust marketing's ability to do good work and generate good leads. They trust their own leads more. And let's be honest, if you're a salesperson, it doesn't take many dud leads that you wasted your time on to feel like, I don't trust marketing anymore and I'm going to do this myself. I also think this is a challenge for salespeople where I actually see that um, people have a lot of like end of one fallacy where they say I tried this thing one time, I did this thing one time, or the thing that they remember is like this random outlier, like oh I called a janitor one time because that was a lead that came through, like why would I waste my time on that? Right? When like in reality that janitor could have filled out a contact sales form, right? It's just a filter that you have to put on the leads ahead of time. And so I think from a sales perspective, you have to rid yourself of like, this thing happened one time, or I followed up on these leads, I didn't get a response right away, right? And so I think that is like a, a challenge that has to be overcome. Um, and then in general, I think it's just like bad practices around lead follow-up that a lot of companies just don't do from a sales perspective. And, and, and we talk, I'm a, sure we'll talk about that. Yeah. Janet is a caretaker, by the way, for anyone listening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Is, this, is that a, is it an English thing? Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry. We can use AI now to auto dub this in British English. Can, so can we make, all listening? They won't even know uh, that Harrison's. Yeah. This, we beer really good, this beer has some good flavour with a U. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if we can make him really posh. You sound like King Charles. It'd be amazing. <laughs> totally do. Um, I think the other challenge is I've worked in a lot of um, I've worked in some larger companies doing sales with marketing, and I worked in some smaller companies. In there's a, there's a real habit of people to downplay the importance of marketing and that's where they become the colouring in department. Um, not that I want to fight your battle because sales is definitely better. But there's this perception that you can hire someone straight out of university and they can run your marketing team. So then if you have that with an experienced sales team or even vice versa, there's this, there's this like, it's going to be friction because you, you think they're just, oh, here's my slides, colour them in. Right, that's the thing. But that's not a marketing person, that's... A marketing assistant running a marketing department 
and you can get the same on both sides and I think that causes a lot of friction. Mm. I also think sometimes too like marketing can in this probably instance is they become like an order taker for sales. It's like, hey, I need a one pager for this or we need content around yeah. this. I need some data for this. Creative. And then when they start, once I think sometimes as marketing leaders or, or marketing people in the company, if you start going down that rabbit hole of becoming that order taker and you don't think about your content strategically, you can then become that order taker for the sales team. And so you set that precedent in the wrong way. Um, where you should be at the table with the sales team thinking about how do you build content from a strategic perspective, not how do you like create a one page or the sales needs for this one call that they had you know, on Tuesday. Yeah. Let's talk about that then because I think in sales driven organizations, marketing often gets relegated to that position yeah. because the business's go to market is we operate through a large or you know, a sales team is where we get um, our business growth and marketing is a support function. So. What advice would you have to a marketer who found themselves in that position, who wants to start positioning their function as more strategic? Well, so first off, I would say that's a leadership problem on how they view marketing. Mm -hmm. Because if you view marketing as like not your major go-to-market like channel or team or emotion, then that is just like absurd. Like there's we're in you know, whatever year this is, 2023, and <laughs> everything is Or different. whenever we like every, release every, this yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah. Could you just say 2024 so we can edit it's that? So that we need yeah. That's we're, right. we're in like we're year 2024. Um, <laughs> and so- AI's taken over and there's no more. <laughs> but you have people in marketing, or you have like um, the ability of marketing to reach so many more people instantly. And so if you think that, that you are better off putting a salesperson one-to-one -one going to knock on doors, like that's just like absurd in this day and age. And there's still a lot of people that think that way. And so from a, from a, from a sales, from a leadership perspective, I think there has to be a flip that says, it's not just sales is our go-to-market, marketing is a support engine. I would almost say you flip it and say, marketing should like be how do you think about blanketing the world with your sort of message, your brand, yeah. and then marketing will end up making sales easier when a sales can jump on a call with somebody and they know who you are, they've heard about you, they've seen your content, they've been on your website, maybe they've even ordered from you if you have products that are available online, and then when you come in and have a sales conversation, it's 10 times easier. But you don't get that flip, which is if I'm a salesperson, I go talk to somebody, you don't get that benefit on the marketing side. And so like marketing has that like, you know, overarching effect that they can provide. I also think there's a challenge when you've got a lot of, especially at the moment, money's tight. All companies need money now. Like they need revenue, they need sales, they need whatever target is we need to hit it now. Yeah. And they think in very short cycles. Is... And those short cycles are much more aligned to a sales team. Like whatever your sales cycle process is, whether it's one month, two months, six months, a year, in that same company, your marketing sales cycle is much longer. So I always, for shorthand, I call it money today, money tomorrow, right? Marketing is always money tomorrow. And it's hard to pitch that and get people on board with it because they're so short-term focused. And if you can get leadership, if you're that marketing person driving this and you can get leadership to see your role as building the future revenue while the sales team build the current, if you're in that scenario, I think it's an easy sell to get them on board. That's what I've seen. Um, if you're lucky enough to be where money's not a worry, at this in the current state, then it's a bit easier. But in that scenario, you have to sell what you're doing. I'm glad you said that because I think, I really love the concept of money today, money tomorrow. And even in like strong market conditions, like I, I think we've had a fantastic 10 or so years that was so good that we didn't even realize we were in it. Yep. 
Um, but I still think there was a pretty strong money today mindset. Mm -hmm. So now when it's a bit choppier, whoa, is it all about money today, yep. as you said, Nick. Yeah. And that is not a great way to be long-term successful, no. right? So ha we've got to find a way to convince people to, it, to invest in money tomorrow because money tomorrow, well, tomorrow, that's yeah. money today, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've really <laughs> got to help people figure that out. Yeah, uh, yeah I joke about tomorrow Nick's problem, yeah. right? That's tomorrow Nick's problem. <laughs> tomorrow Nick will deal with that. Today Nick don't care, right? But you need to, you need to overcome that. Yeah. And I think it's when you look at, uh, if you start to look at a linear, growth for, a linear chart for growth, how are you going to get to that point? is that by the time you get halfway through this, that money tomorrow is now today, but you're still building the money today on top of that. So you've got right. both, yeah. but six months down the line. It becomes exponential growth yeah. eventually, yeah. Um, I do want to come back to how do you handle this if you're, say, maybe a junior marketing person in this type yeah. of organization. Um, I actually think the best thing that you can do is go find a salesperson to partner with on a particular project or initiative. Yeah really leverage their insights and their expertise, learn what it's like for them to be in the field, jump on some of their calls, if you guys record calls, listen to the call recordings, like engross yourself in like their role, pick like a good rep, right? Or something that you're friends with that you, you know, you wanna learn from and um, work on a project together. Because now when then you go to release that project to the rest of the sales team, you've got to buy in from that individual yeah. who would say like, I stamped this, I worked on this, this is great, you guys should all use this because of X, Y, and Z, it's gonna make your lives better, whatever this initiative might be. Yeah. But um, I think that's the best way you can sort of like earn that respect if you're in an organization where you don't have that out of the gate. Um, yeah. And that, I think that's a good yeah. thing. I think what, you, what you're talking about there is because having known you both for a while, you've got a growth mindset, right? You want to be better tomorrow, to continue the analogy, than you were today. Yeah. And I think as a marketer, if you have that growth mindset and you find a sales rep that has that growth mindset, everyone sees this as just an awesome opportunity for learning and being better at what they do. Yep. And I think if you can yep. find those people, then the magic can happen. And I, in essence, I don't think someone with that growth, without that growth mindset, even bothers on to start I mean, on that journey. Right? Hundred percent, hundred percent. If you get the, there's some people that have been selling for twenty plus years and they think they know everything and they're not open to learn anything <laughs> new. And so when you, and when I you, haven't met when any you, of those and when you ask them, uh, <laughs> and then they say they want to see your Rolodex, right? And it's like, okay, like we don't have business cards really that much anymore. So yeah. you know, there's a, yeah difference in uh, you know, growth mindset that is, is huge here. And if you have that growth mindset, seek out other people like that and just work with them. Mm, I listen yeah. to, this is one podcast I like, which is called uh, My First Million. And one of the things they say is like, I just want to do cool shit with cool people. Right? It's like, just want to work on really cool stuff with really cool people. And I think that's like a mindset that you can take in, in this sort of... Uh, there was a study that came out recently, wasn't there? That if, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to get these figures right and I watched it on a TED talk, but essentially if you sit next to a top performer, your performance goes up by like 15%. Really? Something stupid like that. I, the figures may be wrong, but like, it's a, a nice growth just sitting next to them. If you sit next to a low performer, they drop by double. Mm -hmm. So just by being around people that have that mindset, you're gonna. Uh, yeah, we can edit that out. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna grow. Yeah. Um, one thing I'll say on, uh, there's a small thing I think you can do as a marketer, if you're relatively new or, or junior in the position, but you've got a company that's sales orientated, if they have a sales methodology, make sure you find out what it is and you align your marketing to it, mm -hmm. because what people who are in marketing don't always realise, um, because they're isolated, maybe through their own fault or not. I'd say their fault, not the sales. Um, then 
you, there's a methodology. It could be spin selling. It could be challenger. It could be uh, change Miller, methodology. Miller Hyman. Yeah. And the sales team are off using this methodology every day. So if you align their mar- the marketing to that, they can implement it without any friction in the process. Mm. And I always say, buy selling is about removing friction from a process because the, the easier it is to transact and take cash, it makes your life easier. And that's what we should be doing as marketing, right? Both for our customers, but also our internal customers, right? In terms yeah. of the sales team and. I think that was really good advice because if you can create content that's aligned with the model that's being used or that has the right sort of messaging pattern like that yeah. that hits on the key points that that sales model requires, you're going to get a, a head start. We've had a lot of success. Actually, um, something we were talking about actually, Nick, in terms of buyer personas and yeah. message development. Yeah. I mentioned earlier a great source of intel is salespeople on the front line speaking to customers. And we found that if you run a commercial RevOps style strategic sessions, right, how do we best understand the needs of customers and create a story that's gonna convince them that we're the right choice? And one model to do that is to create buyer personas, and one mechanism is to run internal workshops. If you're gonna do that, you get customer service, you get sales, you get marketing, you get senior leadership where required. Uh, uh, Ops folks too, definitely ops folks, people from R&D. Because like, 100%. there's also disconnect that happens there. That's a whole nother topic. <laughs> yep. But getting them involved, they're in the weeds on this stuff. They've probably like done the work your customers are yeah. doing. Get them in the room. Still not salesful though. That's ops fault. It's ops and marketing fault. It's, it's not salesful. No, no, yeah, no. we don't want to end up with a love in here. We're supposed to be fighting. Right. Okay. But yeah, I think that's a big, uh, yeah, that's a great point. I think the other thing that you can do in those scenarios is um, if you... If you're gonna do one of these workshops, is have some sort of methodology for how you run it. And, and I, I'm sure you guys have something, like we've worked with companies on this as well, but it's have a methodology for how you're going to actually build that positioning and messaging like process so that you can all do it together and you're working off the same information. Because if you're using somebody, hey, I, well, I did some messaging you know, three years ago at my other company, I did it 10 years ago at this other company, whatever it is, everybody's gonna have their own opinions. So if you can align upfront around a specific methodology or process for how you're gonna develop that and run that workshop, uh, it's super beneficial. I agree, I know you love a process, process. Yeah, a process, process yeah. and a process. And he's infuriated when I won't follow it. <laughs> uh, so I'm not surprised to hear you say it, but I think you're bang on because I think people need to know why are we doing this? How are we doing this? Or how are you going to give me confidence? Especially if marketing's like the sponsor of this, right? The yeah. people who are driving it. Why is this going to be successful? And process just gives people confidence so the people yeah. running it know what they're doing. Yeah. Once you get people bought in, as you described, there's a little bit of magic that happens, right? Because if, if R&D, customer service, ops, sales, marketing are all doing this together, everybody's voice is important then the outcome is shared, right? And that is such an immediate trigger for, we're doing this together. Oh my God, people are listening. Marketing's listening to me. Marketing never listens to me. You feel heard, right? Everybody just wants to feel heard. And it makes a big difference. Sure, yeah. Uh, That's good. We we actually did a fun exercise uh, at Sip2Go years ago. Mm. We were trying to build some new messaging. We ran a hackathon. So we actually went into, I think it was like, five or six different rooms. We had Zoom rooms open. It was actually in person back when you know we, had, we were in the office a lot. Um, 
and each group had their own message that they were working and developing. It was cross-functional. There was a marketing person in there. You know, I think inside sales, a field sales, we brought in some of the scientists, we had tech support, right? All in each of these little mini rooms, right? And they all were responsible for like putting together a singular message and, and a single sort of cadence of messages uh, around a topic. And that was awesome. Like at the outcome of that, one, in a couple of hours, pizza and everything included, um, we had all of these messages that we could just immediately use the next day and go to market with, and everybody was bought into it, to your point. Yeah, makes a big difference. Yeah. Right. I think we're going to take a little break. For more beer. We're going to be straight back with you, dear listener, but for now we're going to pause for just a second and Empty. grab ourselves a recharge. Let's go. Let's get back into this marketing sales, right? I, I'm afraid in the first half we ended up getting a beer lovey. Mm. So... Yeah. What I want to say to you as like a marketing professional is how do I get you to pay attention to the leads I'm sending you? Qualify. Do all the work. Close yeah. the deal. Uh, yeah. no, um, Definitely. Yeah, just send us the check. Uh, right. I think, the, I think there's a couple of things that go into this, which is one, a clear definition around a lead. And I think another... You know, people talk about lead scoring and whatnot. I think that's fine if you want to do that, but like sales doesn't give a shit, in all honesty. Like yep. you could send me a, a 4A, like a 1A lead or whatever. It's like A++ lead. My biggest bugbear. Yeah, my biggest bugbear was uh, a couple of companies I worked for saying, I've sent you an SQL, which is a sales qualified lead. You cannot send me a sales qualified lead. You can send me a marketing qualified lead because you've been qualified by marketing. And this yeah. was like, I used to, and, and it's nomenclature, but it used to infuriate me. This is important though, because potatoes yeah. and potatoes yeah. are important here, right? Yeah, it's, it's not qualified by sales. Contact, lead, it's also, SQL, LQL, yeah. what do we all mean? When it's I also ridiculous it. that, also it's just ridiculous uh, that nomenclature from that perspective is that big of a deal. Because like, you know, it's completely <laughs> defined. What we had defined as a sales qualified lead at the time mm. was somebody who filled out the contact sales form. So somebody says, I want to talk yeah, to yeah. a salesperson. But it's funny though, because we had a number of reps also say that like this isn't a sales qualified lead because I, I haven't qualified them yet. I'd agree and, with them. Uh, I agree. And I so, agree with that. But again, yeah. it's a nomenclature thing for for no point, right? But it's a, but the point is that you have to be careful with how you word things because you're going to get this sort of visceral reaction out of people. That's right, Tony. In either way, I call you a one. It's just a nomenclature problem, Tony. Yeah. <laughs> but you did get this right. Nomenclature. <laughs> it is visceral though. Right, yeah. because it's like, yeah. it's almost like, I think there's an element of, I feel like you're trying to tell me how to do my job. I can definitely right. imagine that from a sales perspective. Yeah. But also, there's a certain cachet that goes with, this is an SQL, like sales, if you mess this up, it's right. on you, because yeah. it's an SQL. And it's like, right. no, it's not, right? right? I, I, I actually, I don't think there has to be such messiness here. I think you're absolutely right, Harrison, yeah. because a contact is someone in your database, a lead is someone who's shown some like soft interest in what you do, but I've taken no steps to say, I really want to buy something. Yeah. A marketing qualified lead for me is someone is a hand raiser. They fill in a mm. contact form that says, I want to speak to sales. And then sales will then do the due diligence and the follower and qualify them as a SQL, which doesn't just mean that they were a quality lead. It, there's all these other things like mm. the time is right, they've got budget right. and all the other things that, that salespeople have to worry about that honestly marketing don't always have to worry about. Even that though, I still think that marketing did their job. They may bring me somebody like, they may bring salespeople somebody that's not ready now, but you've now got their contact. 
they are qualified to be a lead, but they're in a longer cycle than Bob down the road is ready now. They're still that was still a quality lead. You just have a longer nurture campaign on your sales side, and that that's fine. But I think marketing can do that heavy lifting as well, right? Like we can we can stay in touch with them through newsletters and email workflows. Just keep keep brand awareness high so that when yeah. they enter that buying cycle, um, you know, and we don't work in B 2 C, like we're not putting like confectionery next to the checkout oh do you know what i'll have with that centrifuge i'll have um you know a couple of antibodies and a bottle of coke right it doesn't work like that. um although right. that's going to be the name that's the name of my next band you could be the antibodies i'm the bottle of coke um but yeah like ultimately you look at that workflow <laughs> Anybody with a payload. <laughs> See, now we can't even concentrate. That's the problem is the beer lubricates the brain. But um, yeah, ultimately, I think there is a lot of value in marketing knowing what their responsibilities are, sales knowing what their responsibilities yeah. are. And as you've both said, having clarity among everyone, what that end-to-end -end process looks like. Yes, clarity. I think, I think there's also, <clears throat> people are, We'll go back to nomenclature real quick, right? You talk about leads, marketing qualified leads. The problem is, is there's no unified definition of these things. Mm -hmm. And so because there's no unified definition, people have an immediate reaction to the term you're using. A lead, an MQL, an SQL, whatever it is. There's some sort of reaction that somebody immediately hears when they hear it, even if you've defined it to mean something. Probably based different. on their previous definition. Previous definitions, right? Which they've been from years ago, like who knows? <laughs> so I actually think, there's an opportunity to sort of reimagine this, which is like no, no customer or prospect is like marketing qualified, right? They haven't been qualified by marketing. Like nobody wants to be qualified, right? <laughs> but if you think about the action that that person takes and think about it from that perspective, then it's very clear where you have high intent leads or high intent contacts, whatever term you want to use, just trying to keep the nomenclature right. The high intent ones are the ones that have filled out a form and said, I want to talk to somebody, right? Or they've started an order process, whatever whatever that flow is for your sales process, they have like asked to say, I want to start this thing with you all. I want to talk to somebody. And then you have low intent, which is I have filled out or downloaded a white paper. I've uh, attended a webinar, right? A lot of people the typical process today is I go and download an ebook and then I get blasted by sales reps with automated emails for the next like month, right? And it's like, I don't, I just wanted to know about this like one data point in this thing that's not even related to your product necessarily. I've got like a project for my A-levels and now I've got 10 sales reps on my case. This poor guy's got 10 meetings a day, he can't do his project. <laughs> Yeah, all he wanted to do was throw a couple of quadrats on yeah, a beach yeah. and count some limpets. I just wanted to know what CRISPR was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that's kind of my point here, is like, think about it from the intent of the customer, or the yeah. prospect, or the human being on the other end. That's a better term here. The human being on the other end wants. And what you can then do is you can understand that intent level that they have. And let's say somebody downloaded a white paper and they're from a certain company. Rather than bombarding that person with a bunch of like sales emails, well, one, marketing should get involved and make sure they're nurturing them, staying on top of them, getting them new content that's relevant. But think about it as a trigger to go outbound to that organization. 
which means go do research on that company, find all the different people within that company, that lab, that group, whatever, and what they're working on, and send like a highly relevant targeted email to the people within that group. Right. I think that is a better way to leverage sort of the low intent people yeah. versus like high intent, get to these people as humanly fast as possible or even automated but, where you can get that meeting booked on the calendar. And even though either way the goal should be the same. We're not we're not selling little bits of like plastic on the end of your shoelace for want of a uh, Tom Cruise cocktail reference <laughs> flugel binders. Um, so we're not selling those, we're selling something really technical. So your aim for any stage of the process, whatever the level of intent is to add value to that customer. Yeah, right. And if you can do that, they engage with you. And then you don't really even have to sell, you just position. Right. And if you can add value, I think, but to right. understand that what you said, rather than are they an MQL, SQL, is more valuable because then you work out where you add value. Yeah. I think that's important. I want to come back to that briefly because back to marketing versus sales, I think one of the things that marketers often think is they judge all sales reps by the crappy outbound sales emails that they get. <laughs> and so I'm probably preaching to the converted, but what you're describing is a highly targeted outreach program with content information and messaging that's that's company appropriate as in the target company yeah. and what you know about the lead and it's all customized and all that stuff. But as marketers, I'm here thinking, I don't even want to let you touch my leads because I know the first thing you're going to do is email them and go, um, I want your money. Can I please have some of your money? So it's kind of hard because I'm preaching to the convert because you guys know how to do this properly. But maybe in case there's any other more commercial folks, how can we get sales teams to recognize that those types of outbound emails don't work, firstly? And what should we do instead? Just better uh, color it in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, go to succession.bio slash join. Sign up for the community. Uh, there'll be a course in there called the 30 day pipeline challenge, how to get 20 new meetings in the next 30 days. Uh, and all the details are in there. Seamless. I mean, seamless. I'm, I'm going to not cut this out if you can promise me that it won't be I've got this thing and you've got money and if I give you this thing, please give me your money because no, nobody no, likes those emails. No, no. I, they're so bad now that yeah. when I get the same email template in a given day from three or four different organizations, yeah. oh, you must be snowed under in work. Oh, you've been eaten by a tiger for not oh, replying. Things, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Why, well, are you, so, why are sales doing this? Why are you two specifically doing yeah. this to no, me? Nobody wants to be broken up with, right? Like, yeah. these are all, these are, they call these breakup emails, right? Yeah. Nobody wants to be broken up with. Also, if you're a sales rep and you're trying to break up with somebody, like you are not doing your job of nurturing that relation, well, what could be a, a fruitful relationship or working that account or working with that individual. Your goal should be to continuously add value, not ask if they've been eaten by an alligator. What can we do as marketing to support? No, what are you going to say? I think that it's a, a misconception, and, and I had a massive ego trip. I accidentally, there's a thing on my LinkedIn, but I accidentally ended up in commercial. It was an accident. And my ego about being a scientist, I spent six months trying to get out of it before I realized I was loving it, right? Um, and, and I think you're still a scientist communicating with scientists, even if you're a scientific salesperson. And the moment you forget that and you try to pitch them every second of the day, it's pointless and futile and you should do something else. You add value to the person. I've spent, I've gone into meetings before where people clearly after the first 10 minutes have no no, not even interest. They have no ability in their process to use what I'm pitching. And then I've spent 45 minutes deciphering their differentiation protocol into neurons because it's something I've done before. 
that's fine. I'll go away in another company. They'll see me as value. We'll have a conversation. You have to get rid of the short-term gain. Yes, we all have targets to hit, but what you want to do is fail fast rather than pester. Just like the customer. Yeah. Our customers, yeah. Our customers are trying to fail fast too. Yeah. Right, I don't thing. want to waste your time and my time. Right. Is there an alignment here? Can we add value to each other? No? Great. Let's have a beer next time I see you on the sort of flip side when we can. And I think that's where people get it wrong. They pester, pester, pester and think that's going to lead to a result. And that really bothers me. I'm glad to hear you say it. <laughs> um, but I think also on the marketing side, which you could do better too, is um, a lot of the content is like fluff. A lot of okay. content that comes across from marketing is fluffy yeah. um, and doesn't provide value from like a sales perspective. Mm -hmm. Even think of like a case study. I have, I have a visceral reaction to anybody that sends me a case study because it's just like a perfectly like manicured like like scenario that they have doctored up from a conversation with a customer that they've had. Whereas in reality, like just write it in a paragraph form. It's like customer had this problem before they were working with us. They implemented this thing. Now they're seeing these results. That is a case study. That is a customer story. You tell it really short and easy. That is how sales can leverage it. Nobody wants to read a four-page case study about anything. So the issue is not the use of case studies. It's the fluffiness of making right. it into war yeah. and peace. A thousand it could words. Be a paragraph. Yeah, yeah, it could be a paragraph. Make it, it about, Everybody's busy. Right? We all work off our phones most of the time anyway. Yeah. Like People send text messages. It's all about being short. People on TikTok. You had to catch somebody's attention in the first like half a second or something based on their algorithm, I'm sure it's crazy like that. Yeah. And and so do the same thing with your messaging, with your content, and you know, hit people and deliver value immediately and then like go away. And it, they'll come back. It smacks of a marketing person justifying their job. Well, when, when it's ten pages long and it should be a paragraph. It's like, well, they had to do something for two weeks. <laughs> So they did this. Why do you, outside of, outside of justifying that now we're proper, yeah. for those that are gloves just on, listening, baby. we gloves are on. totally gloves on. Like, like Nick swung, I dodge because I'm quick, but I think he could get me a bit later if he tries really hard. But outside of like justifying their job, which is contentious, but I'm glad you said it, why do you think marketing puts so much effort into those case studies that overblow them, at least in your mind? I think it's a lack of understanding how they're going to be used by a okay. customer. Like, if you're a sales rep in a conversation, well, I think there's a lazy sales rep that will just say, send yeah. these case yeah. studies and yeah. not actually like understand the story behind it, which is a lazy sales rep that like, they need to be fixed. Um, but then, in reality, like the real the good sales reps are going to take that four-page case study, turn it into three sentences, and yeah. tell it in a compelling way to that customer in a conversation, and that's how it's going to be used. And so I think it's a lack of understanding of how that content is going to be consumed. I also do think in fairness, I won't be very fair to marketing, but in fairness, I think sometimes certain marketing individuals have been trained to do that from the lazy sales reps. They're like, I need a white paper. If I don't have a white paper, I can't sell this stuff. Right. Right, right, right. This is your fault. I can't sell this. You're not giving me any content. Whereas rather than knowing how to position the content they have to make it valuable to the person they're in front of they're just spamming nonsense out mm. right so they think it's your problem for not giving them better content when really it's the delivery of what content they have right here's a great example of this to your point when you ask for like a like a complete overview of what you do as a mm. rep i freaking hate these like one page two page overview things it's like oh this is everything that we can provide you all in one page it's like that's not your job as a sales rep Marketing can be send that out to anybody, like great, use yeah. that from a marketing perspective, you do not need that and you should never need that in a sales conversation because in a sales conversation you should be trying to understand what's going on in the customer 
diagnosing whatever challenge that they're having and prescribing a potential solution based on like what's going on in their organization, not opening up your catalog and saying like, you which know, of these which, things which do you thing want? do you want? Right. You know? That's why I love Challenger so much. So Challenger is a, a sales methodology. Um, I won't go to it now, so it's quite big. But I love that because the ethos behind that is your customer isn't even necessarily right. If you have a point of view that adds value, you should challenge them on that. And that may swing them around into your lane for your product, ideally. But it may not. And you, you're meant to add that value continuously, not just throw what matches. So product, catalog. I mean, it kind of, it depends on what you sell, right? Because to a certain extent, if you have like flasks and tips and stuff, it's yeah, probably all, you know there are consumables yeah. where commodity. yeah, more along that line. But otherwise, what you hope is that the prospects interested in what you do, not just because of the thing you provide, but because of your knowledge behind that right. thing and your ability to say this is the variation of that that's best for you like yep i'm, right. I'm not buying just the thing i'm buying the successful use of the thing which your as that a sales outcome. rep your understanding of my context is critical for that piece right yeah so we're at elrig as we said at the beginning and that and i'm biased because i'm on the board of elrig and been involved for a long time but that's something they do really well they, they even curate their vendors so the vendors match the conference they match the talk and they want high quality science and then high quality vendors matching that so that you don't get this this disparate conversation of someone trying to pitch to you like a second-hand car salesman. There's that match of value versus outcome. And I think that's what everyone should be aiming to do. If you're, even in a catalog sales with plasticware, if, you're, if you've not matched up your ICP, your, your customer profile with what you're doing, you're wasting your time. And that's where it, it falls apart. Yeah. Coming back to the content that salespeople need versus what mm. actually marketing produce. Yep. I tend to think about it in terms of, so in marketing we have things like hierarchies of messaging, right? That start at the big picture and get down to the detail. Yep. But I even think in terms of hierarchies of content detail. So in marketing, there are times, again, because this is the marketing sales battle, there are times in marketing where I feel a polished branded case study available on the website, either gated behind a form or not, sets the right level of professionalism with an early stage lead that we understand the details of delivering what we need to deliver and typical customer problems. Yeah. But yeah. I think what we can do better as marketers is provide you with the snippet for your email outreach, right? Because you yeah. need hierarchies of detail. And when you're right. doing outreach, 10 pages of stuff to read is not right. I mean, we, as you said, Harrison, we need to get people's attention in the next five seconds. So, and with tools like ChatGPT, give it the case study and ask it for three <laughs> sentences that summarize the case study in a provocative way. It isn't yeah, even yeah. any effort anymore. Nope. And if you want more tips and tricks on how to use AI in your marketing, check out the Artificially Intelligent Marketing Podcast. <laughs> My guys. He's plugging everyone today. I mean, to be honest. I'm just plugging Camden Brewery for free beer. Yeah. You are all... What was that, Camden Brewery? Yeah, it was. We are all lucky that we can't actually cut this too heavily because the people are listening to the background songs, which I'm yeah. also enjoying. Yeah. Um, but, of course, that would make it very choppy cut. Apologies for all the plugs, dear <laughs> listeners, but um, hopefully you'll bear with us. So, last part then. Let's talk a little bit about moving forward. Uh, what I want to know is how do you feel about marketing, sales, and RevOps? Like, RevOps is like this, I, not even emerging now, like it's emerged, it's out of the cocoon. But 
It feels to me like trying to smash sales and marketing together and then give it a name to try and get everyone aligned, but I know you guys know a bit more. So I want to hear your perspectives on RevOps. You, you first, because I can talk about this all day. I, 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 the analogy I would give is if you've got sales and marketing and operations, you have product in the middle to speak the language and, and join them together. And I think that in any company that doesn't have that uh, product owner, the language and the importance and the emphasis is lost between those other two functions. And I think that RevOps, RevOps serves that function. They, they smooth the process, they get the communication even, and they help that alignment between marketing. That's mine, but this is, some, this is your passion project, so I'm no, gonna sit back. I also just don't think people in life sciences really use RevOps for the most part. I think it's a uh, yeah, typical SaaS sort of. So uh, maybe can you because that is quite likely the case. Can you define RevOps for us firstly, so the listeners? Yeah, know. again, this is another one of these like terms that is <laughs> yeah. you know, very nebulous depending gonna, on who uh, you ask about it. Uh, oh yeah, no, we're all against <laughs> uh, no, but I think it's a. Uh, in its simplest form, like RevOps is there to make sales and marketing and your whole commercial organization at that, like make revenue more efficient. And, and so uh, oftentimes that includes things like your sales operations team, you might even have customer operations, you might have marketing operations, uh, and these are the people that are building the systems, the infrastructure to how do you make the processes go smoothly. Then you've got enablement, right? Which is how do you train, how do you up-level the whole team? I think too often you have people focused just on sales enablement and not focused on how do you enable marketing. Yeah. We were talking about sales methodologies, how about marketing methodologies? Um, how do you up-level that team and set them up for success? Um, and I think you can, you know, uh, pull these things together under one organization that used to be very disparate when you talk sales ops, marketing ops, you, you enablement just on the sales side, not on the marketing side, pull them all together, sort of be a centralized function that can support the entire sort of go-to-market organization. And that's really where I see RevOps uh, coming in. Um, yeah. You were much more aligned on that side of it. In, but it's also you have company. to be a decent sized so, company, I think, yeah, yeah. in order for right. some of this stuff to happen. I think some companies you get like an ops person and they kind of can take that role of like the rev ops function. Um, but yeah, you know, typically at a smaller company, you don't really, you know, that one person is going to be doing all of that work anyway most of the time. Uh, as soon as you get to larger companies and you start to segment these roles, that's where you get like the sort of. Um, like the silo effect. The silo effect. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the silo effect. And that's where when you consolidate these groups together under one strategic leader that can partner with sales and marketing uh, holistically, then you have like a more streamlined uh, flow of information and processes and training and whatnot. When it works well, the easiest way I could summarize it is I've worked for companies that never had it. Then I work for companies that had it really well. And then I don't want to work for anybody that doesn't have it. Really? It's, so when it a, works so well. So as a top sales professional, it works brilliantly. If you have the resource and the size of company to have uh, RevOps, it, it allows you to get on with your job in marketing or selling and not think about the, the, fun the, the function of how you get the other small things done. I say small things, there are many small things that add up to a large job, but even just like... Updating the CRM, because salespeople the CRM. never update the CRM. Yeah, and making that streamline, finding a new tool or resource that helps you do that, like, yeah, various ones we've used. Or even once I've closed out this uh, sales guy I've finished I've got the PO job done what do I do now nothing RevOps convert that into everything else and all the other teams step in and take it I go off and find the next deal or talk to my next customer so that's even changed my understanding and so to play back what I've heard yep. and I've probably got this wrong because I'm not the brightest 
shiny that's tool in the box because I yeah. work in marketing. But <laughs> is, he, is he put his crowns down? So yeah, <laughs> I've been drawing all day. I'm tired. Okay. Um, so ultimately, there's a level of administration to this then that just yeah. joins all the dots and makes sure that all the stuff that maybe sales don't like doing or are not good at or don't bother spending time on get done. What? Where does marketing benefit from RevOps? So think about a, um, a, a simple workflow of inbound leads coming in. Um, there's a lot of automation that you can set up around that simple process. How? So what you see a lot of times today, somebody fills out a form on the website, and then they have to like, wait, okay, I don't know, like, when is somebody gonna reach out to me? Half the time nobody reaches out, half the time it's a day later, right? One, you gotta be fast with all these leads. So like, what if RevOps could set up a situation, as soon as you put in your information, they have a way to book a meeting with the sales rep that is the owner of their account, and it's immediately on their calendar while they're thinking about it, hot on the topic, and now sales doesn't have to follow up with that person, doesn't have to like go into the CRM to find it, just shows up on their calendar and they take the meeting. So they're like the and master then, friction yeah. remover. I think like it's a piece every of it. Area. It's a piece of it, right? right. I think one then piece is like the in... process side. One piece is the process. Yeah. And then the, the other piece is like then that like training and enablement side, which is how do you like arm the teams to be successful in their role? So it's like efficiency and effectiveness. Okay. Are you efficient? Are you working efficiently, saving your time, you know, eliminating waste? Yeah. But then are you doing your job effectively, which is when you're in the moment, having a conversation with a customer, are you saying the right things at the right time that move the deal forward? Often you do see companies that are growing and expanding and they're like, we need more salespeople. They're wrong. Well, that's Their a, salespeople yeah, that's a are inefficient. They need RevOps. Interesting. Well, um, this is a, this is because if you the, take away all of that friction, how much more time does your current sales team that are already trained, already ramped, already experts in your area have to spend on doing what they're meant to do? Or you can leave them with all of that stuff that takes them away from what they should be doing, working with customers, and bring more people in that you need to train and ramp and to do that. Or you can bring somebody to just take that gumph away from them. Here's a fun test. If you want to, if you want to hire a new sales rep, Go look at the calendars of your existing sales team. Yeah. And just look at how many meetings they have in a week. If they've got one meeting a day, you don't need a new sales rep. If they've got maybe you do. Huh? <laughs> maybe you do. <laughs> Depends. Well, well yeah. You might, right. need to <laughs> you might need to replace yeah, yeah, yeah. the person there. But yeah, if your sales reps' calendars are low, empty. You Meeting don't need box. more sales reps. You either need to invest more in the marketing to drive high value leads, or you need to get your existing sales team, actually probably both, invest more in marketing to focus your effort there to bring in inbound leads, and also then train the sales team yeah. to focus their outbound efforts more effectively. So a, a good comparison is um, tech support. Do you want your sales team following up with customers that have issues? We all want to pretend that com companies we work in have no issues because we don't have customers here now, but all companies have issues and you need to follow up with them and problem solve. Do you want your sales team focusing on that or closing other customers? You want a, a te technical operations team that support and that's the same thought process for RevOps. Well, I certainly understand RevOps a bit better now, so I appreciate you doing that and hopefully uh, the, the listeners have as well. Um, I want to be respectful of your time and the oh, listeners' no, I time. Flip it. I want to flip it. What do you? Oh, what you got you, a question yeah, for me? What, do, okay, uh, what? What do you see as the biggest challenge? You work with a number of different marketing teams. What is the biggest challenges they run into when working with their sales teams? And what, what can sales do better? I think the biggest challenge is is the disconnect that you described right at the beginning of this of this episode because. 
I think for a lot of organizations, we get siloed quite quickly. Mm-hmm. I think it's not helped by over, like COVID was interesting. Like it removed a lot of the usual levers that sales teams would use to like generate leads, build relationships and sell stuff. And so there was a fair bit of leadership teams going, right, marketing needs to pick up the slack. So do some digital. Run events. Uh, run, yeah, yeah, do something that's gonna generate leads and marketing became very lead generation focused. Um, and I think, I think there's challenge with that if you're not aligned with your sales team because then marketing feels like they're delivering on the goal that was set. Mm-hmm. But the goal that was really set was, let's find a new way to generate customers and revenue. But now we have to lean more into marketing than we did before. But the way marketing works and what marketing can do, money tomorrow, as you said, Nick, is different from how sales works. And I just feel like that caused a lot of disconnect between, even more disconnect between sales and marketing and disconnect with senior leadership about what marketing can really do versus what sales can do. And so, I think if we're having those conversations in our organizations about what do we all care about? The growth and success of the business, because if the business is successful, like the term company, what does that really mean, right? It's a group of people trying to achieve some stuff, right? And that is what we're all trying to do. And yes, we have our own functions, we have our own role to play, but let's all focus on that end goal. And I think if we can get people doing that, then including senior leadership, then everybody understands what marketing can do on the lead generation front they're having constant conversations with sales about what is a good lead like my perfect scenario is constant feedback high quality feedback from sales i want sales to know what constitutes high quality feedback not all feedback i don't want noise i want high quality feedback that's going to shape messaging tactics and channel use content strategy because then I can be constantly upgrading the go-to-market on the marketing side that should be creating better and better leads that when you come to speak to them as sales, we've already done half the convincing for you because they're already kind of bought into how we do things. I've answered a bunch of their questions. I've overcome some of their objections, but I can't do that if I don't know what their objections are. And that's what you guys are hearing. It's we don't feedback know loop. It's a feedback loop, 100%. right? And, and it should come the other way too, yeah. which is like, what is marketing? Like, what are the things that are working from a marketing perspective? You can test hundreds of ad variants in, in days. What is working? What message is resonating from that perspective? Like the words that are being used, take those words, give them to the sales team, let them use them in conversations. Like this is resonating with this audience. I think that, this comes back to a word I mentioned earlier, and you have to have a sales, a leadership team, whether sales or not, commercial leadership, because we probably should drop the term sales and marketing if you want to drop silos and call it a commercial team. But you also need to make sure you kill the egos. If you have a, a team full of egos of, yeah, I'm, I'm top sales guy and you're not giving me what I need, or I'm top marketer and you're not delivering, it's pointless and futile, right? We're, we're both, like you say, we're a company driving for an objective and we need to drop the ego so we can be told that didn't work, look at what I did or vice versa. Well, I think we've got the topic for our next get together for when we do another episode, guys, because I, I completely agree with that. I think humans have egos and that's hard to overcome. I think how people are incentivized plays a massive role in how they yeah. behave. And certainly, I think you both said at the beginning, marketing and sales are not incentivized in the same way. So we shouldn't be surprised when they behave differently, right? 
So I think that might be a, t a topic for another episode. I think all that remains is to say thanks to you both for your time and sharing yeah, your thank insights. You. Thank you. Thanks very much to, of course, Camden, Camden, Town, Brewery Camden Town Brewery for sending us free beer because of all <laughs> the, I mean, they haven't yet, but they will. You will, of course. Um, and yeah, I'm enjoy. I'm looking forward to enjoying Elric this year, and I'll see you both there. Yeah, see you there. Cheers, guys. Cheers. 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 for listening to the Life Science and Marketing Podcast. For your regular dose of cutting-edge life science marketing insights, don't forget to subscribe. Join us again in two weeks for another engaging expert discussion.